The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so we'll continue now with the exploration of right intention. Oh, let me just add one comment, which is for those who are listening online. Um, We had a little glitch in the recording in the first half, and we didn't capture quite all of it. So um, sorry about that for those of you on the Internet. And for those of you who are here, you you got it. (laughs) You had to be here. (laughs) Okay, so... um, so right intention, also called wise intention, or Monteji even says wise thinking, I believe. So thoughts, as um, Andrea noted, are the, the link between our views and our actions. And thoughts, particularly in the form of purposes or aims, um, volitional, intentional kinds of thoughts about what we're doing and why we're doing it and how we're going to do it. Those kinds of thoughts that hover in the background often. And actually these have a really major effect on how our life unfolds as you start to see that. You know, the the aim in doing something greatly influences the outcome which then influences the new situation that we find ourselves in and hence what we think we need to do next. So we're creating really quite a strong feedback loop with this particular factor. And so it's well worth making that somewhat conscious, being mindful, paying attention to our intentions. And uh, the Buddha, of course, noticed that certain intentions lead toward suffering and other intentions lead away from suffering. He found that there was a pretty clear division between those. And these classic lines from the beginning of the Dhammapada really speak to this. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind and suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. So there's a clear link between how our mind is and the result we're going to experience. So making this more specific, the Buddha identified three, in particular, right intentions, and uh, we've already heard about the importance of intentions like goodwill and compassion, generally wanting to be harmless and create safety for others in situations. These, um, if you want to think about what they counter in the mind, and I know you had the second discussion question about this, they counter the tendency of the mind toward things like ill will or cruelty or, you know, not paying attention to other people, you know, these kinds of things. Those tendencies in the mind are countered by the intentions of loving kindness and compassion. So they help the mind to become free of aversion, essentially. Now we know also that the mind can also tend toward thoughts that are more like based in greed. So these are things that are related, for example, to sense pleasure, to gain, to status, to power. 
these kinds of things. I mean, maybe not the blunt, maybe we're free of the really blunt, gross thoughts in those directions, but, you know, our mind is often thinking about how can I get something or how can I look good, things like that. So then the attention that counters this kind of tendency in the mind is the, is the other of the right intentions, which is the intention of renunciation. And we're going to talk some time, spend some time now with this intention. I know renunciation is not the most popular word in American culture often. Um, so I'm using it with a little bit of trepidation. Maybe I should have started with non-greed or letting go um, or even the, uh, the positive counterpart of generosity. Um, but I actually like the word renunciation. <laughs> so I want to... I, I think actually it's often misunderstood and that's what I want to... Uh, expand on a little bit. So the main difficulty I see with the idea of renunciation and the way the word is used in our culture and our language is that people often imagine forcibly denying themselves things that are enjoyable, useful, or even necessary in their lives, right? So there's sort of a sense of willpower. I'm going to, I'm going to renounce all forms of entertainment for the next year, and I'm going to have to grit my teeth to do it. <laughs> you know, this is kind of the image. And so, with that kind of image, yeah, I can see that it wouldn't be very appealing. So, I'd like to invite you to put that image aside, let that image go, if you will. <laughs> um, and I'd like to offer a different picture, like a different, a different kind of view. Um, or perspective or orientation from which we can see the intention of renunciation. And in fact, when the mind is really functioning within wise view, then the wise intentions emerge naturally, just as Andrea talked about in the case of, of the intentions of goodwill and compassion. So the same is true in the case of renunciation. We just need to go through that. So consider the role of desire in your life. And I'm not talking about normal, healthy desires, like I hope you all have the desire to eat several times a day. You need to keep doing that. Um, But specifically, the type of desire that's called, um, in the text, it's called craving. It's kind of a a thirsty, grasping kind of desire where um, we feel like a certain object of pleasure or a certain... Um, position in the world is necessary for us to be happy. So it kind of binds the mind to objects or states such that it feels like this is needed for my happiness. Um, You know, and maybe you have this in a mild form, like I need my coffee in the morning, something like that. And, you know, that might be a good thing to have the coffee if it's going to make you more alert and pleasant to the people around you. But truthfully, if you didn't have it, you really, it would be okay, right? <laughs> we could be at ease with a mind that was grouchy. <laughs> or maybe another example, a little deeper, is um, some people carry a need for praise. And, um, you know, if, I, if I'm not praised by this person, then I'll feel like I'm no one, something like that. We can have that. Or I have to get that promotion at work or that job or something. Um, basically, this kind of desire, this kind of craving, when it takes hold in the mind, is setting us up for failure. Because if we don't get what we're craving, 
then we experience disappointment, anger, even despair, really. I mean, this can really, this is really suffering. And if we do actually get what we're craving at that moment, um, there's, there's maybe a temporary, there's a temporary relief for sure, but then we have the problem of defending what we, what we got or protecting it somehow, and we have to figure out how to get the next one. It doesn't actually solve the issue. Once one desire is fulfilled, um, we didn't do anything to, to work on the tendency of the mind toward desire, so the next desire will just come. Something else will come. That's how it works. So basically, um, you know, and then we have to feel fear about keeping what we got. So that's also suffering. <laughs> so basically, craving sets us up. This kind of desire, this needy, grasping kind of desire, sets us up for suffering. And that is exactly, of course, the second noble truth, that this kind of cra- that craving is the <clears throat> arises with, excuse me, co-arises with suffering. If you have this kind of craving, it's guaranteed that there will also be suffering, Yeah. So this type of desire is really a kind of bondage. And the image I like to use is, um, you know when bulls have one of those rings in their nose and they get led around? It's, it feels like that, doesn't it? We get led around like the, like the bull with the nose ring um, by our supposed needs, which are often wants in particular cases. So, and I know this isn't easy. We're going to talk about that you know, it's not bad that we have these cravings. We all have them right now. But renunciation then is when we stop playing that game, when we're able to stop playing that game. And we say, you know what? I don't need that to be happy. I don't need that to feel at ease. I'm not interested in playing this game of hope and disappointment and fear. And so it's actually pretty easy to let go of craving once we see really clearly the suffering that it's causing. We may have to see it a few times. But um, so that understanding, that view that there's, you know, there's this thing going on in my mind which is bringing about the suffering makes it very clear that we would want to let go of that and not be tied into that. So this is all about looking at the suffering side. Actually, the flip side is a great way to practice also. We can contemplate the benefits of letting go. Yeah, so we can taste the joy and fearlessness of not feeling bound to having certain objects or certain status in the world, not feeling bound to those things that we think we want or need. Um, you know, not thinking that those are the basis of our happiness. And you can see the—I mean—you can experience something a whole different way when tuned into this into this benefit. Like, for example. Uh, the thing about the praise or being noticed. If I go into a crowded room, I'm going to a party and there's a crowded room and I walk in and I need, I need to be seen. It's like I, I feel uncomfortable among 20 or 30 people until I'm seen and noticed and people are recognizing me and everyone says, oh, hey, it's great that you're here. Um, so if I, if I need that, it's just, it narrows the way I can experience that room right when I walk in. But suppose I don't have that particular need. I'm walking into this room. It's fine if I don't know any of the people. It's fine if they do all recognize me. That would, you know, I would just enjoy that. Um, then I'm much freer about how I can interact. I can go have an intimate conversation with one person that I know for the entire time, or I can work the whole room and meet everybody. 
um, either, I, I have those different options if I'm not bound to a certain way that I need to be in that room or a certain thing that I need to get from that room. So you can experience either side, you know, the, the restriction of needing certain things or the freedom of not. So a heart that is free like this in general, one that in general is in a position where it doesn't need a certain thing from a situation, is then available for things like generosity, loving kindness, compassion, wisdom, truth. Many good things that are exalted and wonderful become possible when the mind is not binding itself down, basically. So we have traded uh, kind of a small-scale happiness of getting what we want in that moment for a much deeper and more sublime happiness of having at that moment a pure mind or a generous heart or um, open loving kindness. Tan Jeff calls this trading candy for gold. <laughs> you see the difference, right? <laughs> and so, so we again and again, we trade these smaller things for the deeper things and eventually we're going to make the trade for the complete happiness of liberation. Ajahn Chah used to say, if you let go a little bit, you'll get a little bit of peace. And if you let go a lot, you'll get a lot of peace. And if you let go completely, you'll have complete peace. So do you think, still think that renunciation doesn't sound that good? <laughs> Actually, the only thing that we really have to renounce is the causes of suffering, which sounds pretty good to me. Now, of course, this doesn't happen... Um, this actually doesn't happen by an act of will. Um, interestingly, even though this is one of the right intentions, um, it's a little bit subtle uh, how letting go actually happens. So it's a good intention to carry, the intention that we want to let go, that we would like to let go, that we think it's valuable and good to be free. Um, but it doesn't happen immediately. And we'll have to do it many times because we have many attachments. <laughs> um, so I have this lovely quote. I just want to pull it out. You may have seen it. You'll see it in the Bhikkhu Bodhi book if you're reading that one. When we methodically contemplate the dangers of craving and the benefits of renunciation, we gradually steer our mind away from the domination of craving. Attachments are shed like the leaves of a tree, naturally and spontaneously. The changes do not come suddenly, but when there is persistent practice, there is no doubt that they will come. So this is a great intention to have. And then what I like about the intention to let go is that you create the intention to let go, and then you have to just let go <laughs> and let, let the letting go happen when it does. Yeah. So um, I want to talk also a little bit about practicing with intention because that's, um, that's what we'll be focusing on over the next period. And uh, in sort of a practical sense, the way that we begin working with intention is just as you might expect, is we start observing our intentions. So this means noticing in the mind, first of all, noticing what we're about to do, <laughs> and then noticing uh, maybe, maybe why or what, we're in, you know, what the aim is in doing it and how we're intending to do it. So there's kind of multiple dimensions. You don't have to try to f- parse all those out. Um, but just noticing the mind that's about to do something and ask yourself, why am I about to do that? What's the, what's the aim there? So you'll have to look at your mind. 
the reason I'm highlighting this so carefully is that when we begin to observe intention, what often happens is that we're dismayed by seeing how mixed the intentions are. And the challenge with intention, at least in complex daily life kinds of activities, is that they can, there can be multiple intentions actually kind of influencing what's going on. So, for example, we're in a conversation with our friend and they've expressed concern or confusion about something that we know about. And so um, we, we tell them something that's useful. And part of our intention is that we want to be beneficial and we're, we're telling them something that they really need to know at that moment or that they wanted to know. And part of our intention is that we want to look good. <laughs> and maybe, I'm, I'm putting this in, but you may notice that you're sort of telling it like, oh, I've already done that and let me tell you how it is. Um, you might see that hovering in the background. And sometimes when we see the mind doing this, another example is maybe you want to give somebody something and partly you're just being wonderful and kind and generous and partly you're hoping that someday they'll give you something back for it. <laughs> maybe not you know, in sort of a gross, obvious way, but if you look, that intention might be under there. And so then sometimes people think, oh, I should... I should not do that. If I see anything that's even mildly not totally pure, um, I must stop and not act. This is very impractical. Um, it's, it's, it's better to give the gift with a slight, you know, wanting to get something back than not to give it in many cases. You'll have to judge for yourself, but how, you know, sort of how large the fraction of unwholesome intention there is and monitor yourself that way but um, basically I want to encourage you to go ahead and keep acting you know the Buddha didn't actually say that we should just stop doing anything until our intentions are pure it would be too challenging and so instead incline the mind toward the more positive intentions that are there and then go ahead and do it okay Um, this is also the time to bring in wonderful time for loving kindness and compassion to realize oh my gosh I really do have kind of an egotistical idea here but this is what I've come up with (laughs) and this is what's in my mind and so you know not to be not to enslave ourselves to kind of an ideal of Buddhist practice that we should have totally pure minds and hearts now that we're good practitioners and uh, what will happen then is we'll actually suppress we'll suppress the intentions that aren't as good and it's better to see them it's better to see them than not to see them. So as you're practicing with intention, I encourage loving kindness and compassion toward your very human nature to have mixed intentions and the intention to let go of the ones that aren't as wholesome. Let go of the more egotistical motivations or the ones that are based more in aversion or greed or something like that. And just um, enjoy the practice of noticing how it is that your mind is moving through the world. You know, not very many people actually watch their intentions. And it's um, something very powerful that you're doing to do that. So the practice is to observe what's actually happening in your mind. And as we do this, we'll, um, we'll start to see the results. We'll see that we'll see, sort of bear out for ourselves what those Dhammapada lines say. Is that when, you know, when we're acting with a mind that is generous and kind and has the or is intending to be free in that moment, the result is generally positive. Um, It doesn't matter so much that this is true 100% of the time as that it's sort of statistically true. As you watch them, you'll see that 
generally when you act with a good basis, uh, the result is happiness of some kind or ease. That's a theme for today is ease. And if we're acting in a little bit ill will, cruelty, greed, uh, these fear, these kinds of things, then the result is generally restrictive, a little bit painful, uh, maybe even damaging in some way. We'll see that. And that feedback loop of seeing um, how we're acting and then how it feels and also the external result, that feedback loop um, is actually what helps change the direction of the mind. So I want to return to that quote that Andrea read um, about what we frequently think and ponder upon becomes the inclination of the mind. So as we incline our mind more, leaning more toward the ones that are wholesome, we're going to change the direction that the channels run in our mind more commonly to be the wholesome intentions and less commonly the unwholesome ones. And it's a process, as somebody else said today. This is a process. So I hope you have a wonderful month working with the inclination of the mind and that letting go and being free about you know, interacting in the world is something that you find of value. Thank you. Okay, so now we're going to have a chance again to talk a little bit in small groups and continue working with this idea of intention. So if you could get into groups of three, go ahead and do that first. Maybe if you can find somewhat different people than in your first group, and then we'll have the question. How are we doing? Are there extra people that still need a group? We need one over there. You guys need one? Okay. Why don't you guys make a group of four with that other group of... You need one, but they... Oh, they got one. Do you... I see. You're trying to trade around. You guys can repeat. That's okay. Okay. Gosh, we might even have a correct number of people. (laughs) A resonant number of people. Okay. So, you'll decide among yourselves who's going to go first in your group. Can you all do that? Raise your hand if you're going first. We could just do the hair thing. No, okay, you guys have got it. All right. So, the first question is think of a time when your intention go oh no I'm sorry this is the earlier one think of a recent example of experiencing craving not your deepest darkest most painful craving um, and describe 
the feelings in your body and your heart when you are in the grip of this craving. And we'll answer it where each person has an opportunity to speak. And let's say you each have um, about two, two and a half minutes, something like that. So go ahead and start. I'm glad letting go was also an engaging topic. (laughs) People are not letting go, (laughs) which is fine. So this is again an opportunity now to share in the larger group any of the wisdom that came from I, you've already got your hand up wonderful oh um if there's specific people you want to be in touch with you could just ask them i, I think the wider question is a little yeah you want to comment on yeah, Susan. Well, one of the things, actually I'm going to be pointing to someone else in our group um, who told us about listening to Gil's talks on letting go and having wonderful learnings from those. So I'm planning to go go back and look at Gil's talks on letting go. A, a plug. Okay, great. <laughs> you will certainly benefit from those talks. So um, this is actually goes back to what um, the lady was saying a minute ago off the record, which is like um, about contact information for the group. I think it could be actually really cool. Um, if anybody else is interested, we could start a, an email list, and then if anybody wants to say something to the group, it doesn't have to feel super personal. Um, when you say when you email, it, you just email it to the list, and then everybody gets it. Um, so if you guys are interested. Um, I guess I'll put up like an informal has nothing nothing formally to do with the group sign-up sheet outside after the talk, um, and I'll get that started. Great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no obligation. It was quite interesting how everyone in that group felt almost the same way as far as, you know, the, uh, about clinging and uh, these kind of things, uh, um, how it affects the heart and the body and me from the mind. It's, it's like a consumption. We use the term addiction. We use the term, well, it's going to make us better or we fall for the 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 uh, marketing the the American marketing of oh if we have this and we have that you know with age comes wisdom and it comes wisdom to enough failures and enough repetitive incidents <laughs> where we get what we wanted and you know it didn't do it or it did it for a short time um, 
And by resisting, or not resisting, by letting it go and not getting what we want, the second part of the exercise, it was very interesting how, well, I use the term, like a fart in the wind. It just puff. You know, if we didn't get into it, we didn't get what we want, and we forgot about it, then the next day the monkey mind was, you know, on something different. Or if we got it and we got that jacket, the Patagonia thing, or the car, you know, a few months later it didn't matter. It's like if we didn't get it. So the, 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 um, the ending is always the same. And I think what, what, what I'm trying to go come come go, go away from is the word more because mm-hmm. more ain't going to do it <laughs> thank you well in our group i uh, i noticed that um much of uh, what we talked about had to do with with aversion which is craving for um uh Craving to avoid something, craving to not have something that we're getting or that's or that's inevitable, so that you know aversion is the flip side of of wanting of, of craving for something it's the craving to not have something, so I thought that was quite interesting um, unrelated to that um, regarding uh, renunciation i uh Sometimes I like to think of that as uh, restraint in, in contrast to renunciation. They're related, I think. So if you, ex- if you exercise restraint or self-restraint, then that's a way of, of uh, accomplishing renunciation. And for some people, it might be an easier way of looking at it or thinking about it. Thank you. I think one of the most useful things that I've learned here at IMC and the meditations is looking at the physical sensations of cravings and unskillful thoughts because I do feel them in my body. They, they hurt. And just being aware of them, of that physical reaction, has helped me a lot and letting go I really appreciate your pointing toward the body and the physical component that's so important uh, in this embodied practice that we're doing the body has so much wisdom in it and so much information and if we're not really taking that in we're missing a lot You were helping me realize just now that um, one of the things that is helpful or has been helpful to me is being able to remember the body sensations enough to withstand the initial thought pattern that says, oh, it's going to feel good, and instead to remember how it feels bad further down the road in order to make a different choice. So it's almost a body memory of 
yeah, right now the mind is saying this is going to feel good, but later the body's going to be saying that was not good. I'm not sure I'm, how this is how I'm going to say this, um, or how it will come out. Um, um, so we're our group, and a lot of what has been said are is the way we communicate with thoughts uh, and language, um, and we understand the effects or the pain we suffer through craving and so forth, through language. Um, wisdom doesn't, isn't about language and isn't about words. They're insights that arise in the practice. Um, and they arise instantaneously and quickly, and they're a knowing. And the knowing can have language and words or not. And... Um, the Eightfold Path, as we're talking about right view and intent, right intention, is setting goals for ourselves in language at a beginning that we will come to revisit later without language. Um, uh, so we're talking about something we only partially can understand and where I, I feel for myself uh, approaching it as a training, as a practice, literally a practice to try out right intentions to see what happens and to pay attention to them and allow wisdom to arise later if it arises. If I can just, there's nothing really to add to that comment, but uh, um, in that it stands very well by itself. But I just want to highlight what resonated for me in the uh, alerting to the fact that some things are wordless, some things are without language, and that in some ways all the language that we put onto these things that we talk about in the teachings is a little extra. I mean, we need to do that to communicate. But um, intentions and even views are very quick and very subtle in the mind. Mm -hmm. And so um, I encourage you, if you've gotten familiar with the kind of word-based intentions, like I want to do, you know, and it's very clear in your mind that there's something saying that, um, to look maybe for those more subtle inclinations that don't show up as words, but show up more as just kind of, uh, (laughs) you know, that... (laughs) Leaning towards something, um, I think these are these are worth identifying. Also, if we can catch them, energies. Thank you. That's a nice phrase to put to it. The energy of the mind starting to move in a certain direction, or the current starting to shift under the stream, that can be felt in a way that it can't always be put into words. Thank you. I don't know if that was totally what you were pointing toward, but it resonated for me. Did you want to add anything? Just very briefly, something I have heard from Gil. The first time I heard it, I, I, I was puzzled, but I really uh, love it. And he says, mindfulness is silent. Mm. 
It's really uh, wonderful to really think about that. It's, we don't need words for mindfulness. Oh, wait for the microphone. Thanks. Uh, maybe this is mind-messing, but um, aren't intentions like desires? Yeah, sometimes we dress up the word desire and call it intention or aspiration. or Yeah, these are all movements of the mind towards something. But not necessarily problematic. Definitely not all desires are problematic. <laughs> Did you want to add? Yeah, just just to, uh, to uh, repeat something Kim said earlier on, you know that the intention can be mixed, so that part of our intention can be very skillful, but it can also have other aspects that are not that skillful. But it's part of the package, and we just kind of. <laughs> take the packets and, and hopefully be aware of the whole content in the package. There are some very skillful desires, like the desire for liberation, the desire to help another being, you know, the desire of compassion, if you will, um, wanting, these are wants in a sense, I, I want to be free, you know. Um, so definitely uh, desire should not be a bad word. The desire to keep your body healthy, which in, includes eating, sleeping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're looking for the ones that are the, the grasping, the clinging, the craving. Those are the ones that cause suffering. <coughs> I want to point out something from the discussion that we had, um, Chris and Andrea and I, which is, I don't know if maybe you may have experienced this also because I've seen it in other groups too, which is that it's quite easy to remember times of craving and suffering. (laughs) And it's sometimes actually hard to remember when did I let go and what did that (laughs) feel like. Like I had to think for a moment, um, you know. And this... This is not an accident, actually, in that I, I've noticed that the mind is skips over often the subtlety of letting go because it's, it's nothing, really. It isn't a thing. It's, there, there's an absence of something at that moment. And our mind is so attuned to going on to the next thing, the next desire, the next object, the next whatever it is, that we miss that little moment of what it was like to let go and to be free for a moment. And so if you find yourself during this month when you're working on the intention to let go, it might take a little extra effort to notice that feeling of it's gone or I'm free in this moment. That's really worth noticing, actually, because it happens more frequently than we mm-hmm. notice. <laughs> and we're not that attuned to noticing it. And it's such a good feeling. <laughs> We're denying ourselves a lot by not noticing those moments. 
Anyone, any other comments? Anything from, you want to say anything to wrap up? No. Okay. Well, we're down to the last few minutes. Um, I have one little procedural announcement, which is that um, this is a short month, quote-unquote. I think we only have three weeks, is that right, until our next meeting. And so, um, sorry, that's just the way the scheduling worked out. And so that means that when you're getting the emails with the quote-unquote weekly reflections, they're going to come every five days. (laughs) So um, that's just how we're going to space it out so that we can get through all the exercises this month. And I hope you'll be able to find time to meet with your mentor in that compressed time. Um, And then we'll be on to the next factor. Um, Why don't we sit for a few minutes then to close? As we consider going forward into the rest of the day, we can incline the mind toward loving kindness, compassion, 
letting go to intend for ease with our body and our mind and in our relationships wishing that the benefit that we've gained from our time together here is shared with all beings that we will encounter and then we can imagine it spreading out from there who knows how far our good intentions can go